Jessica, meanwhile, had been kidnapped. She went with her abductors willingly so that they would spare the life of her bodyguard and best friend, Epiphany. Jessica climbed into the back of a car with Victoria Bondurant, whom she considered to be a mortal enemy, and was whisked away into the night, gone before any of her handlers were any the wiser. They drove through the heart of downtown Miami, and then into a sub-basement of a parking garage. Before we go any further, Victoria said, there's something that we need to take care of. We don't want any of your so-called friends coming after you, now do we? The driver came to the back of the car, wrenched open Jessica's door, and grabbed her in a bear hug to keep her still. Her arms were pinned to her sides, and Victoria slid onto her lap to keep her legs from moving. Remember that day I took you to the dentist to have that cavity taken care of? She said sweetly. You didn't have a cavity. We put a tracker in one of your molars so that we could find you if something, well, like this ever happened. She took out a pair of needle-nosed pliers. Now, let's see if I can remember which tooth it was in. Hmm. She held Jessica's mouth open with one hand and yanked out one of her upper back teeth, then another from the other side. Jess did her best to keep quiet, but tears streamed down her cheeks, and a weak, mewling sound came from deep inside of her. Oh, wait, now I remember which one it is. Victoria plucked out a third and final tooth. She licked the blood off of it and held it up to the light. Yep, this is the one. She crushed it with the pliers and threw it out the window. They left the parking garage and went deeper into Southside Miami, finally arriving at the bumper crop of skyscrapers and shimmering glass called Brickell. Jessica held a kerchief to her lips, filling it with blood one mouthful at a time. They escorted her out of the car, into an elevator, and up to the 40th floor, the penthouse suite and conference center, where an old man sat waiting for her. Hello, Jessica, said the priest with red hands. It's time we had a talk. Jessica was important to them, these emissaries, important to the priest with red hands. She thought she knew why, but she was dead wrong. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem. Killers, cannibals, and cults. Fearful fiction and furious fact. Tall tales and terrifying truths. This is A Scary Home Companion. There were over a hundred empty seats facing an ominous-looking table. 
and only one of them was occupied. He was frail, old, dusty around the edges. When he shook a mint out of the tin, his hands were shaking. Was it because of age and weakness or anticipation? Jessica stood before him in the center of the room, surrounded by the rings and circles of empty seats, and, more disconcerting to her, dozens of cameras and webcams. She kept the blood-soaked rag pressed against her mouth. The priest crunched on a mint and smiled at her. This is one of yours, I'm told. He enjoyed eating her tooth and looking her in the eye as he did so. Very tasty. Thank you. He replaced the tin into the breast pocket of his black suit jacket. It's just you and I, he said, gesturing. He had dismissed Victoria, telling her to go check on our guest of honor and then wait outside until I call for you. So now the two of them were all alone so they could really talk. Why do you think you're here tonight, Jessica? She just shrugged and shook her head. Oh, my goodness, where are my manners? I know you've probably heard all about me. You've heard me called by all kinds of awful names. But allow me to introduce myself. My name is Francis Rourke. You can call me Frank, if you'd like. She shook her head again. What does that mean, girl? Speak up. She took a couple of teeth, not your tongue. Jessica moved the rag aside. You're not Frank Rourke. He died a long time ago. You are the priest with red hands. You're one of the emissaries. You're not a person anymore. Is that what Lila told you, he said with a chuckle. How can you believe anything that woman says? Do you know who she really is? Do you have any idea the things she has done? Jessica tossed the rag aside. Her fists were clenched at her sides. Yes, she said smartly. Yes, I know everything she's done. I know you probably have some big revelatory speech planned out, but I'll just go ahead and shut that down. Lila told me everything. About her wedding night where she cut off her groom's penis and ate it in front of him? The charity work being all a front just so she could abduct indigenous people? People nobody else in the world cares about? Families, children, babies? She told me how she would harvest their skin. Sometimes she did it when they were still alive. And more, she told me everything. The priest opened his mouth, but was momentarily speechless. And I didn't understand why she told me all that until right now. Because Lila's awful. She's evil. She may be the most evil woman who ever lived. But you know what? She's honest. I can tell when people are lying, and she never is. And that's why she told me. 
so that you couldn't, you couldn't take anything away from me because I already know. Very well, then, he said, and now his words seemed to be gilded with pride. So, if I may ask, why are you loyal to her if you know her true nature? I'm not loyal to her. I'm loyal to what she wants to do. She hates the same things that I hate. And what, pray tell, is that? You, your kind, the cults, the ghastly ones. I may not like Lila, but she's forthright. And I know she wants to destroy them just like I do. Well, then maybe we're not so far apart after all, you and I. The priest got up and took a few slow steps closer to her, but then stopped because he wasn't trying to intimidate her. Not anymore. He already had an idea of what Jessica, meanwhile, was made of, but now he was seeing it in the flesh. The girl had spirit. Even through fear, she was resolute. Now he understood why Lila liked her so much. He pointed to a few of the cameras. You see all of this hullabaloo? It's for a coronation. Many key members of our organization will be tuning in soon to watch it happen live because it needs to be visible. These are the times in which we live. A coronation? she asked. Oh, yes. You see me before you. You see I'm getting old and weak, far too old and weak to be an effective leader. We need new blood. And the ghastly ones, they have selected a chosen one, a new suit of flesh and bone to house me. He sits in the basement as we speak, waiting to be summoned. He will take over my work. Moreover, I will continue my work through him. Do you know me, child? Has Lila told you? Before Ira Dunwich was born, when he was still in the womb, I bonded with him. Never before has one of us lived an entire human lifespan. I could not say where Ira started and I ended. And this made me different from the others. And then I was forced to move here into this shambling wretch, this do-gooder priest who nears the end of his usefulness. Which brings us back to the coronation. Jessica, I am the keystone of the emissaries. I stand above them all. One of them, yet gestalt, other than the sum of the parts. You don't understand me, but you will, child. We are a collective. We share thoughts and images fluidly whenever our hosts sleep. But not me. I control myself just as I control this priest. I decide what to share with the others. 
I take from them without giving. I am an evolution in our kind. And now you are about to be part of that. Do you understand how special this makes you? You are the chosen one, not that pathetic false prophet they want. They pick him, but me. I pick you. Pick me for what? Coronation? What are you saying? To lead, Jessica. To lead the emissaries. You are young, you are strong. And with your resources, you have a long and bright future, brighter than you could possibly imagine. And now you will share it with me. I don't have any resources. The priest ate the second and last of Jessica's molars that Victoria had given him. It was sweeter than the first. Oh, Lila didn't tell you. <laughs> I thought Lila told you everything. I thought she was honest and forthright. But she never told you that she made you her sole heir? You remember Victoria and Lila having you sign piles of documents and they said it was for your adoption. Lila was leaving everything she has to you. In the case of her death, you get it all. Jessica forgot to breathe. It was one of those we-have-just-lost-cabin-pressure moments. So you can clearly see how valuable you will be as a host. Tonight I will shed this skin, leave the priest behind, and together we will start a new era. He gave her a sinister smile. And she gave him one in return, her teeth still smeared with ugly red. Because despite all the pomp and circumstance, the priest had underestimated her. Jessica knew something he didn't. A six-vehicle convoy raced through Southside Miami, loaded for bear, ready for war. The head vehicle was driven by an on-loan DRO agent named Ed Carson. Field leader Sadie Jane was in the car trailing his, strapping on Kevlar body armor while shouting into her phone. The following vehicles contained a who's who, of black ops death merchants. Oregon Cray, Manny Cortez, Close Casket Jack, Cordelia May. Along with 16 other red shirts, all had been vetted and handpicked by Cordy herself to provide perimeter coverage and tech support. Because this crew wasn't just coming in hot, 
they were coming in with a plan. Mona, what you got for me? Sadie took off her long, flowing blonde wig and replaced it with a bulletproof helmet, cinching it under her chin. Mona! Give me a second, Sade. I'm trying to watch 18 fucking screens at once. I... Okay. Shit. We can't access anything inside the building itself. The security is... Fuck. It's tighter than dick skin. I'd be impressed if I wasn't so pissed right now. But I can access the security feeds from other buildings around it. Here's what the ground view looks like. See that? Over there? It's light, but it's present. Those tourists and that clutch of bums? They haven't moved off the block since I started watching. They're guards. And see those cops there in the lobby? I had my people hack the precincts, and none of their officers are officially posted here tonight. So either they're emissaries or they're working for them. Either way, I say fuck them. Okay, keep me updated with anything and everything. Sadie switched over to the field comms. Listen up. Start with the flashbang. That's going to sort out who's random and who's there on purpose. Cray, you get on top of the van. Snipe the cops first. Anyone else in the lobby who looks suspect after. Manny, Cordy, take the front doors. Jack, you and Fedor take the back. Strick, Pitch, you ladies dodge the action and set up the zappers at all four corners of the building. We cannot, and let me repeat, we cannot use this tech inside. Just in case they've... Uh, turned Jessica. And if that happens... We'll figure it out when we have to, so let's make sure that it doesn't happen, people. Get that fence activated A-S-A-fucking-P, and then we go up, floor by floor if we have to. Mona is going to use drones to try and spot Jess from outside, but she can't send them up until after the shooting starts. If you're listening and I didn't call you by name, secure the exterior of the building and do as you are fucking told. Are we clear? There was a moment of silence, and then Manny was the only one to answer. Loud and clear, boss. Let's bring back our Ermanita. The vehicles converged on the skyscraper, and everyone put boots on the ground. Everyone, except DRO agent Ed Carson. As Cray and two other soldiers jumped out of the battle van, he told Carson to stay put, watch for potential problems, and do the one goddamn thing he could do that would help. Get Bill Handel on the phone and have him issue a Code Crimson for the entire block. A Code Crimson was a law enforcement protocol enforced by the Department of Restricted Operations. It prohibited any police or first responders from entering a designated area. Manny tossed a flashbang grenade. As intended, it separated the wolves from the sheep, 
Some people went screaming away from the building, and others turned to face the incursion. Soldiers in body armor, carrying big guns, stormed the front of the building. Oregon Cray knelt on top of the battle van, classic shooting stance, and started putting bullets through the ornate front windows and into the armed guards and off-duty police officers beyond. By the time Manny and Cordy swept the scum off the sidewalk with a hail of hollow points and opened the front doors, the bodies were already starting to tumble like dominoes. Through the rear entrance, Jack came in low like a beast, a shadow on four legs, clenching a blade in his teeth as Fedor went high with suppressing machine gun fire. Anyone who ducked, dodged, or hid from the bullets got a face-to-face meet-and-greet with closed-casket Jack. The two techies worked around the base of the building. They set up the four needed beacons at all four corners. Once installed, they were activated, erecting an invisible fence around the first few floors. This fence was essentially harmless to humans, but to emissaries, it would fry those wicked slugs inside of their hosts. Let's find her, Sadie commanded. and Let's make sure no emissary gets out alive. Ed was sitting behind the wheel of the van, speaking on the phone with Kevin Koja, who was the chief of staff for DRO director Bill Handel. Ed had asked for a code crimson on the address and the surrounding area. Much to his surprise, it was immediately granted. Within 30 seconds, all of the approaching sirens fell silent as the first responders turned around and went back to base. Even the security alarms in the area began to shut down one by one. Make this work, Carson, and maybe the director will have time for a sit-down with you to discuss your future. Yes, sir, Carson said happily and hung up. He could not wipe the smile off his face. You see, Ed Carson had a long-held and deeply buried secret. He was trapped in this life with no escape possible unless he killed director Bill Handel. Allow me to digress from the action briefly because even though we've met Ed Carson before, you don't really know him. He was born into a prominent family of the one true faith, one of the oldest and most powerful cults in America. His father, Fred Carson, had also been a spy, a double agent. The one true faith 
liked to monitor and seize control of other cults and subversive groups. For decades, they had sent their devotees to infiltrate them. Fred Carson had joined a group called the Gunny Men, controlled by the Ambrose family, first Perry and later Lila. After several years deep cover, Fred had been found out, and they sent him home in a pine box. This made young Ed all the more determined to follow in his father's footsteps. He joined the program and dedicated himself to it for years, as he was slowly groomed and molded specifically to slip into the ranks of Deep Red Ops. He was to be an exemplary agent in all ways, to advance as high as he could as quickly as he could. When the one true faith needed him, they would contact him and activate him. And then, while Ed was serving in the DRO field office in Las Vegas, the one true faith was wiped out. Bill Handel masterminded a simple yet brutally efficient plan. It took months and years to implement, and then he saw the cultists slaughtered, their resources plundered, and the one true faith was rendered obsolete over the course of a single afternoon. Bill had been Ed's role model, and now that same man was responsible for the death of his family, his people, and every person alive who knew who he really was. This left Ed trapped in a false life until he was thrown a lifeline by a mystery woman who knew everything about him. This woman tasked him with killing Handel, at which point she would get him out and help him disappear into whatever life he chose. Now that impossible task seemed to be within his reach. Ed watched the carnage unfolding with a smile on his lips, rolling down the window of the van to get a better view. Some minutes later, he was still grinning. Then the ceiling collapsed, the windshield shattered, and everything went pear-shaped. The priest touched a switch on the wall, turning on a single spotlight, illuminating that sinister table at the center of the room, the one with restraints in the corners. He explained to Jessica how very soon she would be tied down, but that she would not be harmed in any way. There was no need to worry. She was far too valuable to be damaged. Except for my teeth, she snipped. An hour from now, Victoria will answer to you. To us. She has very nice teeth. 
So maybe you and I can figure out some way to pay her back. The priest talked her through the process. To make it less traumatic for Jessica, she would be given anesthesia. And then the techies would get all the cameras going, the VIPs would tune in to watch. But instead of seeing the chosen successor being handed the torch, they would see Jessica on the table instead. The priest would put his head down next to hers so that the slug could move into its new host. By the time she woke up, Jessica's whole life and whole outlook would be different. And then they could proceed. Forty floors down came the sharp pop of a flashbang grenade, followed by the chatter of gunfire. Jessica let out a long, slow breath, feeling the relief creeping through her limbs and down into her digits. She had been a little worried that they wouldn't be able to find her. The tracker in my tooth, Jessica said conversationally to the priest. That was just the one that Victoria knew about. After everything she did, Sadie thought it would be smart to put in a subdermal chip, like the ones they use to track dogs, but a really fancy one. DRO technology, I'm told. It won't show up on scans because it's inactive. Until the tracker in my tooth goes offline. So, she spit blood on the floor. You know, surprise. He snarled at her. If I can't have you, I'll just have to kill you instead. Well, you better move fast, old-timer, because they know right where I am. She pointed to the glass doors, where a small drone was hovering over the balcony railing. Hi, Mona, she waved. Under the table were weapons. The priest grabbed a small blade one designed to slice and fillet, and he thought about which two of her ribs to slide it between. Did he want to snuff her outright, or did he want to sit back and watch her drown in her own blood? Decisions, decisions. Jessica backed away from him, towards the drone on the balcony. She knew that it couldn't help her, she also knew that her friends were on the other side of it, so she wanted to get closer. You know, Lila didn't make you her heir out of kindness or love. You're nothing but a fail-safe. Since we haven't been able to kill her, we've started to erode her reputation. Part of the piranha solution is making the world realize what Lila Ambrose really is. When that happens, she loses her power, her money, her reach, everything. Then she's just another old woman. Making you her heir protects her. Because when the end comes, she's just going to fake her own death and disappear. You'll get everything on paper, but you're stupid and loyal enough to keep doing whatever she wants. She's not giving anything to you, Jessica. She's hiding behind you. 
and I wanted to wear you. I really did. But at least I'll get the pleasure of taking you away from her. Something happened, and the knife trembled in his hand. The priest rubbed his temple and for a moment looked pained. They had turned on the fence around the ground floor, and even up this high, he could feel it, like a piercing screech in his brain pan. Jessica stopped, backing away. She took three running steps forward and grabbed his wrist, knocking the blade out of his old hand. He looked at her. They stood eye to eye. He was old, frail, hunched. She was in the prime of her life, long-legged and limber. He was not bigger than Jessica, nor was he stronger. But the terrifying part came as he realized, when she refused to break his gaze, that Jessica was not afraid of him. She was still holding his wrist, so she twisted it. She ducked under it, and she pulled it around the small of his back, cinching it in, just like Manny taught her, and pushing up and up until she heard something pop as his shoulder dislocated. She shoved him, and he staggered into the glass door. The drone was still watching from the other side. Good. Everyone was going to want to see this. Jessica, meanwhile, was not a fighter by nature. But she had endured tremendous hardships over the course of her life and nearly died on several occasions. She had also spent the last three years living under Lila's protection. And all of her closest friends, allies, and mentors were part of a cadre of killers virtuosos in the art of dealing death. Jessica had learned from them. Self-defense, hand-to-hand, small arms, improvised weaponry. With her quickness, youth, and dexterity, the priest with red hands was quite simply outmatched. His ability to control people through fear and manipulation was the only strength he had left. And right now, that was meaningless. She punched him in the side and felt his ribs creak. The priest grabbed her around the neck, so she returned the favor. She smacked his head into the glass and pushed through until they both tumbled onto the balcony. Jessica got up first. She was still holding the priest by the neck So she pulled him up and let him lean against the railing. It was the only thing keeping him upright. The drone bounced in the updrafts. Jessica's hair whipped in the wind, a tempest that framed her angry face. Lila wants to lock you in a cage. She wants to talk to you, she wants to ask you questions, she wants to torture you, but more than anything, she wants to put your head on a stick and keep it as a trophy. I think that's a bad idea. 
and I'm not the only one. Since I have the chance, I think I should just end this once and for all. I don't like to fight because I don't like to hurt people. She let go of his neck. But you're not a person, so I won't feel bad about this. I hope if Frank Rourke is still in there somewhere, I hope this sets you free. And then Jessica gave him a push, a wee little shove, and sent the priest over the edge and off the balcony. He spun and swirled silently on his 40-floor descent, and when he hit with terminal velocity on top of that van, the priest with red hands was torn asunder and shattered to pieces. Ed Carson was only unconscious for a few moments. He woke up shaken, confused, and his view had changed drastically. The ceiling of the van was caved in, the broken windshield coated liberally with gooey blood, bits of bone, and liquefied organ meat. Some of that liquid seemed to be pushing its way through a crack in the glass fat, ugly tube of goo, inky black but glittering green, squeezed inside. It dropped onto Ed Carson's face and slithered into its new host. Thank you for listening to this season finale for A Scary Home Companion. Don't worry. You won't have to wait long before the next season kicks off. And if you're on Patreon, you don't have to wait at all. There's a special exclusive Aftermath episode that deals with the fallout of what you just heard. Fallout, get it? Find out who the chosen successor was supposed to be and get a ghastly glimpse into major upcoming storylines. What's next for Ed Carson? If you're not familiar with the deep, rich history of this show, before he was possessed and became the priest with red hands, Frank Rourke was Bill Handel's partner and best friend. He officiated Bill's wedding for crying out loud. Then he became Bill's greatest enemy. Now he's in a new host, one that has access to Bill. On this show... We never close a door without opening a scarier door. There is a new exclusive episode like The Aftermath every month on Patreon. Sign up today, and I'll also mail you a signed copy of the new book, Bedtime Stories for Weird Kids. We also have a downloadable tabletop RPG, which is fun, a lot of analysis videos, and more. Join us. A lot of great music this episode from Filmy Ghost, Sergey Quadrado, Sola Flare, Tab and Anatech, Universe Field, 
and the song you're hearing right now, Last Moment Kissing You by Lobo Loco. All of these tunes come from Free Music Archive, an incredible online collection of original music. Check out all of these artists, the songs you've heard today, and hundreds more by them, only on Free Music Archive.